Praise the Lord. Appreciate your words, Brother Lee. It touched my heart and appreciate your support. He knows his Bible. He was quoting a number of different places in the Bible, but he made me think of this scripture here in Revelations 19, 7 and 8, and even on down into 9. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife hath made herself ready. That's what we're working on right now. We want to be a part of that element. His wife is his bride. It sounds like it's feminine, but in terms of its role, the bride has one of the most masculine roles that has ever been given to any element of the church, to rule and reign beside Christ for a thousand years. To her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Write... Blessed are they which are called. Brother Lee was talking about how appreciative he is that he was called. Not everybody gets called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know there's a difference between common salvation and an uncommon calling? Maybe I'll stand up just for a minute. I, I don't want to talk much, but there's a difference between just common salvation. Jude wrote about that, didn't he? He said, I wrote to you. It's in the first chapter of the book of Jude. There's only one chapter in Jude, by the way, so that makes it even easier for you. But the first chapter of the book of Jude, he wanted to remind them of something. Most people believe Jude was written right before the fall or after the fall of Jerusalem. He was writing to a church that was falling away. We've been talking about that in our church history class. And he was warning them here in the third verse. When I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation... It was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. There's a common salvation every single person in this building has received. Don't you appreciate that? There's some common grace that everybody in the world's received. I don't mean the grace of the new covenant. I mean the fact that if you plant a crop out back out here, you can plant your crop out there. I don't know if this farmer is a believer in Christ or not. I don't know if he understands that God, creator of heaven and earth, is only one God. That's what Sister Cindy's song was about. There's two people mentioned in that song, but only one of them is Almighty God. And Almighty God has a mighty son. And there is only one son that can lead you to the Father, and there's only one Father that son can lead you to. And if you truly believe in thee, singular son of God, Jesus, the only place that's going to lead you is to his father. And if you want to get to his father, you have to go through him. There is no other route. But the common grace of God is on this earth right now. Thank God that sometimes we don't appreciate it, but rain is one of the most important things we could have. But the fact that these farmers plant their crops out here, whether they're believers in Christ or not, the rain will fall on that ground, won't it? That's common grace. It's not common salvation, though. It's common grace. It just means that God has grace towards his creation in a general sense. The sun's going to shine on the just and the unjust. The rain is going to fall on the good and the evil. Maybe it's the other way around, but either way, the rain's going to fall and the sun's going to shine on the just and unjust and the good and the evil, whether or not they're good or evil, whether or not they're just or unjust, at least right now. One of these days, the sun's only going to be shining on the just and the good. One of these days we'll live in a world where there will be no unjust and evil and the sun and the rain will only be there for the good and the just. 
the righteous. And in the case right now, right now we're all under a covering of common grace. If somebody isn't a believer in Christ, thank God for at least the common grace. Or you'd be a pretty miserable life if God didn't provide some things that allow you to be able to live. The breath in your lungs is a gift of the common grace of God. The fact that he allowed that to continue down through the line of Adam, even after he told Adam, the day that you eat of that fruit, you'll die. And I know you all probably know real well my two or three points on that. That that day is a whole lot more than just a 24-hour day. In the 24-hour day that he ate of the fruit, he died spiritually. The very moment that fruit touched his lips and he became a disobedient child to God, he spiritually died. But his physical body lived on for more than 900 years after that. So that was a thousand-year day that he got to live in. But the very day that he ate of the fruit, the third element is he began to die. The very day he ate of that fruit, death entered into his members. And it's been passed down to us, but part of the common grace of God, saints, is that even though death has been passed down through Adam, there's still breath in your lungs, isn't there? If you're sitting here awake and cognizant and breathing still, I hope everybody in the building is breathing. We got passed down the curse from Adam, but God still had enough love for his creation. He didn't just wipe the slate clean. He could have done that. He didn't even completely wipe the slate clean sometime later when he destroyed the earth with water. He could have done it. Why didn't he do it? I'll give you one good reason why he didn't wipe the slate clean. He did make some promises, and God always keeps his word. God made some promises to Adam and to Eve that hadn't been fulfilled yet. One of those promises was that even though that serpent will bite your heel, there's one that's going to come, if you understand the prophecy behind that statement, who's going to put his in the neck of the serpent. That hadn't happened yet. That wasn't just talking about the fact that now a serpents are slithering around the ground, and if you want to stop one, you've got to put your foot on his head. In fact, if you've got a poisonous snake slithering around the ground, the last thing you probably ought to try to do is put your foot on his head. Let me warn you ahead of time, if you're not, I hope everyone here is wise enough to know otherwise. Ryan's the outdoorsman, I know he knows better. He's the one keeping bees and everything else. Animals roaming all through your land. I've got them too, Ryan. I saw the first turkey of the season roam through here yesterday. Told the girls and they were running all around trying to find it. I don't know where he went. He went in behind the church somewhere. And Sister Helen had been cleaning the carpets by the back doors. And she'd propped those doors open to let some air in. We saw this door was closed, and I watched that turkey go behind the church. I said to Destiny, I don't know where he went. He hasn't come out from behind. I said, I surely hope to the Lord in heaven Helen didn't leave that door open, and he went in the church. <laughs> Destiny said, I'm going down there right now to find out. She went down here. Sister Helen, of course, closed the door. But I thought it'd be a terrible thing if that turkey was wandering around in our church. They'll make a mess of things. They'll pack up the seats and everything else. So I thought it'd be a real shame if that turkey made his way into the house of the Lord. But there's been some turkeys that have come in. I hope they don't leave turkeys. I was a turkey when I came back to the house of the Lord. I probably would have made a mess of the house of the Lord too if somebody hadn't been wise enough to pray for me, wise enough to take me under their wing. We all were turkeys, weren't we, Brother Lee? We all were a mess when the Lord found us. People come to church and I often hear this argument, well, I'll start coming when I just get my life together. There's some things that I'd feel guilty about if I came to church. If you know that much about it, if you feel that guilty now, are you better off outside of church guilty or in church guilty? But saints, there is a common grace that's afforded to all of us. You don't want to live in just common grace. We want to have salvation, don't we? So there's common salvation that's greater than just common grace. 
Because one of the days, the grace of God over all His creation, that's what I was referencing earlier, is going to close off to anybody that's not in Christ. One of these days, the common grace that's afforded to the average individual walking around out here that has never yielded their life to Christ, that common grace, that door of that grace, I don't want to confuse you in terms of the grace that's afforded in salvation, but the door of just common grace will close. Saints, we're beneficiaries of some of that common grace, but you need to be a beneficiary of common salvation as well. Let's not just stop by saying, well, everything in my life is okay. One of these days, the door shuts, and then you are outside the benefits of God in any sense of the word. Won't be any sun or rain or anything else on you. One example of that, you can see the preparation for it going on during the millennial reign. The fact that eventually God is going to cut off everybody that's not a part of his household. Because in the millennial reign, if you read the last chapter of the book of Zechariah as a little clue and several other places, you start to see that God is beginning to require through his son, who will be ruling for a thousand years over the earth, the nations to start coming up to Zion to worship and to make that the center of their worship. And all the nations are going to have to come up to Zion to worship the God of heaven. And if they don't, what happens? Anybody know any of the things that will happen to a nation that doesn't come up to Zion? One thing is there'll be no rain on their land. If God held off the rain on your land for a little while, you'll straighten up after a little while when you're in drought conditions and there's no food. And then the nations that are serving the God of heaven have boycotted you. You know, we make these boycotts and blockades of renegade and rebel nations, don't we? I think the nations that are sheep nations that are under the covering of God during the millennial reign, under the reign of Christ, that are submitted to him, that are obedient to him, that are coming up to Jerusalem for their worship and so on in terms of a corporate sense. Those nations, I think, if there's another nation that is a renegade against God, they'll boycott them. You won't have any wheat sent from our wheat fields to that particular nation. It won't go there. They won't have any way to support themselves if their own land can't support themselves. And guess how your land supports itself? Well, you grow your own crops, you produce your own things. Now, if God pulls away common grace, sun and rain off of that land, they're not going to produce anything. And if the nations that are loyal to God won't help them, I'll tell you, it'll be a quick learning experience. They'll learn righteousness, Brother Lee. I love that scripture he likes to use. When the judgments of the Lord are in the earth, men will learn to do righteousness, is one translation. Jude talked about the common salvation. There's a common salvation. Anyone that accepts Jesus with a true repentance, you've got to define that too, saints, because there's a lot of people that will gladly call on his name, but they don't really want to give themselves to him. They just are calling on his name. If all that it takes is just saying a few words without any heart change, anybody can do that. You could put a gun to somebody's head, couldn't you? Couldn't you just put a gun to somebody's head and make them read the sinner's prayer? Praise God, they're saved now. They read it. It's just words is all it takes, right? No, it takes a heart change. That's to get into common salvation that Jude was talking about. The bottom shelf, salvation. It takes a heart change. It takes true repentance. It takes you turning to the Lord and converting. As Brother Lee used this word conversion. Turning from whatever you were doing and heading in a different direction. And when you repent, you repent with a repentance that needeth not to be what? Repented of. What does that mean? That's King James Version. Let me put it in modern lingo. I'll make up my own translation, I guess. I don't know if anyone would like it when it's done, but here's my translation of that verse. You ought to repent so that you don't have to repent for that thing again. That's all that means. You need to be able to repent of things that you don't have the slightest intention of going back to. If you fall back into it, it ought not to be because you knew all along you were going to go back to it. 
It's one thing to make a mistake and fall. That's going to happen, saints. I don't think there's one person in this building that from the day they received Jesus has never done anything offensive to God. Every one of us have offended God again after we were saved. We've done something that offended him. We didn't do what he wanted us to do or we did something he didn't want us to do. That doesn't mean he's not going to forgive you. But if you know in your own heart, I'm repenting of something and I don't have any intention of not going back to it. I'm going to go back to it at some point. Then that's not repentance. It's one thing if you fall back. It's another thing if you had every intention of going back. Saying, I'll never do such and such again. I promise I'll never do it again. And then tomorrow you do it again. And you knew you were going to do it. You planned. You had it on your schedule. You jotted it in and you already knew you were going to do it again. There's nothing repentant about that. And some things, until you repent of it, with the right degree of repentance and with the right measure of repentance, it'll never be forgiven. And that's hard for some people to understand because they think, well, I asked God to forgive me for something I did. He may have never forgiven you. And you say, well, why not? Because you never really down in your gut truly repented. Brother Chet Smith, he had this phrase that went all around the churches in the body. Have you repented today? Is there something you need to repent of today? You're better off being hypersensitive to sin than callous. Lord, please forgive me for this and this and this. Then for you to say, well, I lived a pretty good life today. After you rebuked six or seven people, gossiped a little bit, cussed somebody out or whatever else you might have done that day, I, I lived pretty clean today. You'd be better off being hypersensitive to it than to have lost your sensitivity, wouldn't you? But there's a common salvation you and I all, I believe, in this building have received. I hope we all have. If you haven't received a common salvation, it's not real hard to do. All you've got to do is turn to the Lord. You don't have to turn around physically. Mentally, turn to the Lord. Get your mind set on the Lord and make a conscious and a dedicated and disciplined decision I want my life to count for you, Lord. I want to be different from this day forward. And I'm going to ask you, on merit of the fact that you sent your son down here to earth to bleed and die for me, and then you testified to the acceptance of that death by resurrecting him from the grave and bringing him back to third heaven to be with you, by merit of that blood sacrifice, I know I can ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. And I want it to be a genuine repentance, Lord. You know that's all it'll take? believing and confessing and repenting, and you can be a beneficiary of common salvation. And what Brother Lee was referring to here is an uncommon calling. Not everybody that's saved has the same calling. If it was true that everybody that's saved that's going to get a resurrection has the same calling, you wouldn't need to make your calling an election sure, would you? All you'd need to do is make sure you repented that first time. But we have a responsibility to make our calling and our election sure. You need to finish all the work you can do for that calling. It's within your power. And it is my belief, if you will do everything in your power to fulfill the requirements God's put on your life, God will make up the difference. God will meet you wherever your strength ends. That's where you mount up with wings as eagles, you know. When you finally come to the end of your own strength, then God will come in. And he'll do it over and over again until finally you grow in strength. The church has never been meant to be a refrigerator, you know. Some denominations seem to think the church is a refrigerator. You get in a certain state and then you get preserved. You get stuck in the fridge and preserved. Or maybe, ladies, you get canned. It doesn't work like that. You know what the seal is that keeps you? It's the Holy Spirit. You don't get canned... You don't get preserved or refrigerated in the kingdom. It doesn't work like that. This is a hot house, sometimes hotter than others. This is a greenhouse. 
green because there's life in it. There's something that's planted in here. There's soil inside this assembly, saints. There's living nutrients down inside the soil. And it's kept alive by what we felt here in the beginning of our service. The wonderful watering of the Spirit of God that comes into our services. It keeps the soil rich and nutrient-dense so that if you'll plant yourself in it, you'll grow because the object of the Christian life is not preservation of where you were when you came to Christ. It's growth from the point that you met Him. Christianity is a growth process. It's not a static element that I met Jesus and now I'm sitting in this state. He covered me with His blood and frozen in place for the rest of my life. No. His blood washed away all of those past sins that you had to deal with. And now you're in a greenhouse. And the wonderful access that you have to nutrient-dense soil and the wonderful access that you have to the water of the rain of the Spirit of God will allow you, if you'll yield yourself to it, to grow inside that greenhouse. Every Christian is supposed to grow. If you can't see that in the Bible, I can give you probably 150 scriptures on growing and our responsibility to grow. You could start off with a real simple beginning. I am the refrigerator, and you're the shelves in the refrigerator. Is that how Jesus describes himself? No, I am the vine, the true and the living vine. I'm the vine and you are the branches. And if you'll stay in the vine where you're grafted, the life from the vine which is ever living, Jesus will never die. And the life of Christ will never fade in any way. That life that's in the taproot of that vine will feed itself out into your branch and you'll grow and you'll produce fruit. You'll produce more fruit or you'll produce much fruit. You'll produce 30-fold you produce 60-fold, or maybe, Brother Lee, and this is what I'm striving for, I know you are too, maybe you'll produce 100-fold. 100% return on investment. Jesus invested His blood in your life, not just so you could be saved, but so He could get a return on the investment. That's what 30, 60, 100-fold is. You give Him 100-fold return, you'll measure up to the measurement He set for you. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ is your measuring stick. If you have a hundredfold return, you have measured up to the stature of what he measured up to. That is the high calling. There's a lot of callings, but then there's a high calling. Saints, what a blessing that we have that knowledge. It's a blessing, but it's also a curse in some sense because once you have access to certain knowledge, it doesn't make you better than everybody else. It makes you more responsible. No matter what God gives us in terms of truth, in terms of his spirit, in terms of authority or power or anything else, saints, one thing we better always remember is this. The greater the power and authority it's given to us, the far greater the responsibility becomes. We're held to a far higher standard, which means the more that God gives us, the more He requires of us. So if we realize that and don't get caught up in ourselves and say, you've given me something... I've seen people walk around all the time talking about how God has had this great calling on them or they're this or they're that. None of that means anything if you don't measure up to the responsibility of the calling. You know who's a good example of that? Samson. Samson had one of the most intensive callings you could have under the law. You had to study sometime the different levels of calling you could have under the Old Testament, let alone the New. Under the Old Testament, you could be just somebody who was born in one of the tribes of Israel. I'll use that example for common salvation. You could be someone that's just one of the seed of Abraham. 
Do you know if you were born to the tribe of Levi, you had a whole different level of responsibility than just to be anybody that's part of the seed of Abraham, didn't you? Now, what if you were born to one particular family in that tribe? What if you were a son of Aaron? You had an even greater responsibility and an even higher calling. Here's one place you can study, isn't it? Uh, Leviticus 21 gives the requirements for the priest and the high priest in terms of what they can have in terms of cleanliness. Even the priest and the high priest had different degrees of calling. You realize that? Do you know that a priest under the law could marry a widow, but a high priest could not? There was a different degree of calling, a different responsibility. If you're going to be a high priest and you're in love with somebody that's a widow woman, you'd be better off not having that calling because the calling of a high priest, you cannot marry that woman. You're required more by the more your calling is, the more intensive it becomes. And one of the most intensive callings you could have if God put it on your heart to do it would be the Nazarite vow. That's pretty intense calling. Some people didn't even get to choose. A lot of times you get to say, well, I really feel like I want to do this for the kingdom. Samson didn't get to choose. Maybe that was part of the problem in Samson's mind. The angel told Manoah and his wife, your son is going to be a Nazarite from the womb. Which means Samson was raised all his life knowing he had a calling on him. Kind of like being born in church, isn't it? You know, if you grew up all your life in church, if you're not careful, because I did. My parents were children themselves when the church in Akron was founded. Brother White and my grandfather founded that church with their two families. That was the beginning of that church, their two families meeting in Brother White's home. My mom was just a little squirt. I couldn't tell you exactly how old she was. She was here today. She could probably tell you she probably wasn't any bigger than Hallie or Danny when that started. 1971, May, a few days from now, this little bundle of joy and terror was born into the world. Joy to me and terror to probably everyone else. But this little bundle of joy was born to the world. I was born in 1971, and there had been a church in Akron that had this vision for almost 25 years by that time. So I was born into something that was already established. I was born into something that had been around for a little while. It's easier for you to lose the value of something when it's all you've ever known. You know, I was born in this, and I see all of its flaws, and there are flaws in every church. There's strengths and there's flaws. Every church should be working to try to correct the flaws and accentuate the strengths. It takes time, though, to, to do both those things. There's strengths we have in our church we may not always have, saints. It's why we always should be preparing to carry a heavier load. There's strengths we aren't always going to have. There's some of you, I look out across this congregation, and if God allows his son to tarry in his return for us, there's some of you that won't be here when he comes. Unless the Lord blesses. And I'll tell you, I pray, I meant to say this at the end of service, but let me take a pause and have a commercial break. Now, who am I looking at? I pray, saints, that everybody in this building gets to live as long and as healthy a life as this dear, sweet, lovely lady that I'm staring over at right now. 97 years old today. And just as sweet as the day I met her, and she was only in her early 90s at that time. I met Sister Mildred as a pastor. From a pastor's standpoint, she was probably around 91 or 92. Here she is turning 97 years old. God let her be a, what's the word for, a sin, 
Centurion. Well, we don't want to give her that. Centenarian. centenarian, yeah. Octogenarian, centenarian. Let her be a centenarian a few times over, Lord. As long as she's healthy. I don't want anybody suffering. I don't want their life to span out to 115 years old and it's absolute torture for the last 10 years of their life because you'd be better off just going and resting in the arms of the Lord till your resurrection. But Sister Mildred is in wonderful health for 97 years of age. I'd like all of you to be in Sister Mildred's health at 97 years plus. Everybody in here. The Lord may come before we get up to that age. I would imagine he will. But I don't just want to be a beneficiary of the common grace and the common salvation. Saints, there is something better. I want to earnestly contend for whatever God has laid out for his people. It's an uncommon calling. It's not common. It never has been common. I want to measure up to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That's what Brother Lee was referring to here. 